You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please. Now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior. Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. Welcome, everybody, to the two-hour Sunday edition of FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and lots to look forward to over these uh, two hours. Got uh, a special guest today. That would be Emily Walden from 2080 Baseball. Had her on earlier in the season to talk about some Tigers prospects, and that discussion is, I think, even more timely now as we're getting towards the trade deadline Tigers uh, appear to be primed to be one of the most active sellers. Uh, in fact, just this morning, some more uh, news and rumors regarding some potential Tigers uh, trades. So we'll talk about the fallout with Emily. Uh, lots of news, uh, some big pitching performances, and a few big pit hitting performances as well, including Cody Bellinger's cycle from Saturday. So it's a packed show, even though we've got uh, two hours to cover all of that. So uh, let's get started with it. And the only thing worse, really, than to share news about somebody having Tommy John surgery is to have news about two pitchers potentially having Tommy John surgery. One is not a potential at all. Uh, Joe Ross is scheduled to have Tommy John surgery this Wednesday. So, of course, out for the season and uh, would think likely to miss the bulk of uh, 2018 as well. So bad news there for Joe Ross. And uh, according to FanRag Sports' own John Heyman, Michael Pineda is going for a second opinion on his partially torn UCL on Monday. Uh, but if he uh, does not, or I should say, if he does get the go-ahead to get Tom John surgery, that could happen as soon as Tuesday. So not looking too good for Michael Pineda one way or the other. But, of course, uh, I'll keep you updated on that. Uh, there won't be anything, I would doubt, uh, for today's show. I'll be back tomorrow. And on tomorrow's show, uh, which is always 3 to 4 in the afternoon Eastern time, uh, I'll uh, give you the latest on that Michael Pineda situation. Um, across town, Yohannes Cespedes hurt his hip on a defensive play uh, yesterday. Neither he nor Terry Collins... Uh, indicated that they think it's a serious injury. However, Cespedes is out of the Mets lineup for today's game. So, um, you know, that one too remains to be seen. We've certainly seen it before with Cespedes and, and of course, many other players where it's deemed a minor injury at first and uh, winds up being something much, much more. So uh, that one too will need to be monitored, especially going into the lineup block tomorrow. Remember, first pitch is, uh, I believe it's 12 30 uh, for tomorrow's game. I'm going to just check that to uh, confirm that for you real quickly here. In any event, it's a yeah, 1235 start nationals at Reds. So uh, you certainly uh, do need to check on that tomorrow morning uh, as well as throughout the day today. I know you've got nothing else to do than to check up on UN assessment as his uh, health status. Anyhow, lots, lots, lots more news to get to. Don't go anywhere. Just going for a break right now. Be right back all the rest.
Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host for this show. And I get to start off this segment with some breaking news. Just broke within the last segment and saw it during the break. From Ken Rosenthal. Uh, of uh, Fox Sports, uh, or at least the TV version of Fox Sports. Uh, Kevin Rosenthal reporting that the uh, the A's have traded, as has been rumored for the last day or two, they've traded Sean Doolittle and Ryan Madsen to the Nationals for Blake Trainin and a couple of prospects. So that, uh, that happened quickly. Um, now, of course, the question, the question that I've been getting a lot already is uh, who's going to close, and I don't know. <laughs> Haven't seen anything about that. Uh, I'm going to guess we're not going to see anything about that. This is just going to have to play itself out. They could, uh, Dusty Baker could go the route that Jeff Bannister seems to be going in Texas with a lefty-righty platoon. Uh, we've seen Alex Claudio pick up a couple of saves recently uh, with Jose Leclerc being in the ready to uh, pick up the righties. So you could see that uh, do little facing the lefties, Ryan Madsen facing the righties. If you're just asking me for my hunch, which is not worth, I think, any more than anybody else's because uh, I just don't have any information on, on what's going to go on there, I bet that's the route that Dusty Baker goes. And, and I guess the hunch is based on just all the mixing and matching he's done all season long. And granted, that's probably had as much to do with just not having a consistent option to go to. Um, it's also had to do with some injuries, but um, that would be my guess, which means that I'm not that uh, enthralled about going after either Madsen or Doolittle. But if you're going to make me pick one, I'm going to say it's Ryan Madsen. They're both having great seasons, but Madsen's got the, well, they both have closing experience, but uh, you know, they, so Madsen not only has that in his favor, he has being right-handed in his favor. So, um, but again, my, my hunch is that uh, Dusty Baker might go some sort of platoon situation there. But that uh, is uh, is some pretty big news for sure. Uh, all right, well, let's get back to some of the other news items. Like I said, there are plenty of them. Uh, according to Matt Gelb of the Philadelphia Inquirer, it looks like Aaron Altair, who's been dealing with a uh, reportedly mild hamstring issue, is going to have to go on the disabled list. And that his replacement on the Phillies' 25-man roster could be Cesar Hernandez, who's been on the DL. So maybe this is just an issue where uh, Hernandez needs to come off anyway, and Altair just needs some time to rest his hammy. I'm not exactly sure what that situation is, but that is the report for Matt Gelb. So um, certainly would make it worthwhile to start Cesar Hernandez this week. Also, uh, I've been talking a lot about Daniel Nava the last couple weeks, and what a surprisingly good season he's been having. That certainly clears some playing time for him, although there is Cameron Perkins also on the roster there who could interfere. But uh, in deeper leagues, I would feel pretty good about starting uh, Daniel Nava. Uh, The Rockies have also made a pair of DL moves. They have sent Tyler Chatwood to the DL with a calf strain. A little bit more on him in just a second. And that clears room for them to activate Ian Desmond, who's also been dealing with the calf strain. So as expected, Ian Desmond back for the Rockies today. Uh, But yeah, Chatwood had a short and bizarre outing against the Mets on Saturday through just 19 pitches, got just one out and only five strikes thrown. So clearly the calf was already bothering Tyler Chatwood. 
Uh, he's going to the DL for that. Um, so, uh, so there you go. And that kind of muddies up the, uh, the Rockies pitching situation for week 16 uh, because in part of that uh, effort to, uh, you know, uh, fill in the innings with Chatwood making a very early exit, Kyle Freeland pitched three innings in relief. So I think you're going to have Herman Marquez and Antonio Senzatella pitching on Monday, Tuesday for the Rockies. That would uh, potentially line one of them up um, for a two-start week. Uh, so keep an eye on that one because they're, you know, sort of intriguing, sort of intriguing options. But um, also just had sort of got a laugh looking at the, the box score for that game with the Rockies and the Mets because Kyle Freeland not only came in and pitched three innings, he no hit the Mets over those three innings. Uh, so picking up right where he left off uh, last Sunday against the White Sox, and it's a little late probably for your lineup purposes, but I actually wrote a bit about that in the Sunday Streamers column yesterday saying that uh, I actually thought Jeff Hoffman, despite a not very good track record recently, I liked him against the Mets as well. So uh, Kyle Freeland uh, certainly not having a problem with the Mets uh, yesterday. But moving on, uh, staying with the Rockies here, they, um, they have some interest in J.D. Martinez. And as I mentioned at the top of the show, we're going to talk to Emily Walden very, uh, very soon later on in this show about the Tigers uh, looking like they're going to be big, big sellers. J.D. Martinez is probably the biggest name, unless maybe you, you count Justin Verlander. He's been tossed about in some trade rumors, but Tigers seem a little bit more motivated to move J.D. Martinez. And I think uh, buyers are more motivated to go after him. So the Rockies, one of those teams interested in J.D. Martinez, and they, and this is according to John Morosi from Fox Sports, they have a particular interest in J.D. Martinez because the NL West does have a lot of left-handed starting pitchers. Uh, two of those went yesterday, Alex Wood and Madison Bumgarner. And Martinez has always hit very well against lefties. He's doing a fair job this year. He is 18 for 36 with six home runs and four doubles. That's crazy. Crazy splits. So, yeah, that would work really well in Colorado with the altitude, with all those lefties. Although A lot of those lefties are awfully good. But if there's anybody who can help the Rockies solve some of those tough lefties, J.D. Martinez would be the guy. Uh, so keep an eye on that one. And sticking with the Tigers now and their trade uh, possibilities and Justin Verlander, who I just mentioned, the Braves have a scout in Detroit this weekend to watch Justin Verlander and Michael Fulmer. Fulmer pitched yesterday. And uh, Braves in the market continually rumored to be uh, shopping for starting pitching. So that report uh, from Mark Bowman of MLB.com. I can skip over this next out of my notes because did you know the Nationals are looking to trade for Ryan Madsen and Sean Doolittle? Yep, they did it. All right, so I can skip over that one. The Giants are interested in John Carlos Stanton, according to Craig Mish of SiriusXM. Uh, so Stanton has not been listed by the Marlins among the players that they are definitely not shopping uh, on that list. Marcelo Zuna, Christian Yelich, JT Real Muto. Uh, and interestingly enough, Dan Straley, although he's still been rumored to go a couple of different places. But Stanton, you know, I think if they got the right deal, maybe some salary re- relief, uh, potentially they could move him. The Giants apparently are very, very interested. Colin McHugh 
uh, is going to make a start at AA Corpus Christi today. Dallas Keuchel will do the same thing for them tomorrow. And McHugh, this is expected to be his last rehab start. So that would put him in line to start in week 16 this coming weekend against the Orioles. So if you've got McHugh stashed, cue him up. That was not even a pun, but the cue him up, you know, McHugh. Okay, never mind. Angels have designated Danny Espinosa for assignment. Uh, Nick Franklin's been getting the bulk of the starts at second base anyway lately, so I would expect that trend to continue. Uh, it's been a disappointing season for Franklin, though. Hasn't up until recently played very much. When he has played, uh, some with the Brewers, more recently with the, the Angels, he's just not produced like he did late last year with the Rays. I Granted, I know the Trop is not a great power-hitting stadium, but uh, Angel Stadium, I, that does not seem like a great fit for Nick Franklin, and he's had a really hard time getting it going. Maybe with some more playing time, we can see him come on. And, and again, remember, last year it wasn't until the second half that we saw Nick Franklin start to break out a bit. So there's an interesting player to speculate on in some deeper leagues, but you know, also just temper your expectations based on what he has done so far and the venue that he's playing in. Mitch Haniger jammed his finger yesterday on a bunt attempt. He's not in the Mariners' starting lineup for today. And Francisco Liriano had to leave his start early on Saturday against the Tigers with a tight neck. No word there on Liriano on whether or not he can make his next start. Uh, as for Haniger, as I mentioned, not in the lineup, he's been termed day-to-day. So uh, that's one that you'll also have to keep your eyes on for your week 16 lineups, if you're setting lineups on Monday. And I think probably in most leagues, even if you're playing a 10-day week, I know in my Yahoo leagues, uh, even though I'm playing a 10-day week, I can still reset those lineups. So this is all stuff that you've got to to keep your eyes on. So uh, that, uh, for now, wraps up the news. But, uh, you know, as we had something break during the last segment, we could very easily have something break uh, before the next segment. Who knows? I'll keep my eyes on that during the upcoming break. And when we come back, we're going to take a look at a whole bunch of dominant pitching performances from Saturday's games. And uh, after that, we'll have Emily Walden join us to talk about the Tigers. So lots to come. Stay tuned. Welcome back. This is FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Al Melchior, your host. And uh, as I mentioned before the break, we've got a lot of big performances to break down from yesterday's games, but we've already got to start today's games. That This has gotten underway. And, uh, you know, I love it when uh, my predictions for uh, the Sunday starts for my Sunday streamers column for FanRag go well. And even though uh, games have only been underway for uh, about 20 minutes, I only made one avoid call on the uh, Sunday streamers. I mean, certainly certainly there are lots of pitchers you want to avoid, but in terms of one that people might want to give a shot, and that would be Steven Matz, because the Rockies are one of the worst teams in the major leagues on the road. But I said avoid them. Colorado already up 4 nothing uh, after half an inning. So now we've just got to see if Jeff Hoffman can take care of the Mets the way that uh, I think he can. So uh, anyhow, uh, in terms of other scores going on, uh, Yankees-Red Sox just got underway, zip-zip. 
the Dodgers off to a one nothing lead against the Marlins. We've got Chris O'Grady making his second career start in that one. So uh, very interested to see how that turns out. And a lot of Tiger talk on this show. Already have had a lot of Tiger talk. More to come in the next segment. But uh, unfortunately for the Tigers, already down 3 nothing in the first inning to the Blue Jays. A lot of early game offense going on. The other game uh, in progress, Nationals up 2-zip on the Reds. And then we've got uh, some 130 games that are on the verge of starting. So uh, try to check back in on those later on in the show. But uh, in terms of lineups, of course, the uh, 1 o'clock Eastern starts. Those are moot issues. In terms of uh, later games for the Brewers, uh, no Eric Thames. You got Jesus Aguilar starting at first base. But, of course, that's uh, been something of a revolving door lately anyway. As far as weather goes, no major worries. Only game that you probably should take uh, just a second look at. Why not? Let's talk about the Tigers again. <laughs> Got to talk about the Tigers a lot today. Uh, at game time, just a 15% chance of precipitation, but going up as the uh, afternoon in Detroit uh, goes by. Uh, in fact, of course, that's already a 1 o'clock start, so they've already got that one underway, as I mentioned before. But uh, by 3 p.m., that's supposed to go up to 24%. By 4 p.m., that game runs a little long, up to 48%. And that's just the forecast as of right now. And, of course, that is courtesy of Roto Grinders and their chief meteorologist, Kevin Roth. So uh, let's take a step back to look to uh, yesterday's games. Uh, I'll be kind of zigzagging back and forth between breaking down Saturday's action and checking in with Sundays. But it was a day, for the most part, of great pitching by great pitchers. Um, So as I I put in my notes, uh, sale dominates. Yankees, Red Sox play a marathon. Water is wet. Uh, a lot of these pitching performances, uh, you could say, uh, you know, yeah, water's wet. So, you know, what else is new? So Chris Sale does dominate uh, against the Yankees. Of course, Luis Severino, which is why he had a pitcher's duel that uh, took that game into extra innings, deep into extra innings. Sale made it seven and two-thirds innings, did not allow a run on three hits and two walks with his usual crazy strikeout total. This time, 13 strikeouts against the Yankees. Severino made it seven innings, gave up just one run on four hits and two walks with a mere six strikeouts against the Red Sox. But the Red Sox are a very tough team to strike out in general. Uh, The other interesting pitching development occurred much, much later in the 14th inning. Raldis Chapman came in there, uh, did pitch a scoreless inning, so definitely an improvement over his outing on Friday but um, did not get a single swing and miss on any of his 12 pitches. So it's a glass half full, half empty outing for Chapman. No runs, only needed 12 pitches to get through the inning. But uh, over his last seven games combined, Chapman, his whiff rate is 9%. I mean, that is mediocre for a starting pitcher, below average for a, a reliever and especially a closer and Chapman who were accustomed to having, you know, numbers in the 15 to 20% range. That's a real concern for him. Now, one thing about Chapman, uh, you know, it's, it's, I, I'm bringing this up because I do think there is reason to pay attention to this. I think if you're a Chapman owner, it's something to be slightly concerned about maybe more than slightly concerned. I would say I'm trying to temper my, my language here. Cause I don't think it's time to be alarmed just yet. Um, however, his, uh, 
His velocity generally not been been down much. Just maybe a tick in this particular outing. But when you throw twelve pitches, you can't get too upset about uh, you know him throwing ninety nine as as opposed to a hundred. But um, the one thing that I, I keep reading about Chapman that's kind of driving me crazy is people say, oh, the control, you know, the control's not good. And he walked in uh, the, the winning run on Friday. Control's actually been pretty good lately for Chapman. Friday was more of the aberration. Um, so that's not been the problem. So again, if you want to take the glass half full approach with Chapman, for the most part, he's he's been throwing strikes. And that's, I know, historically been an issue for him. But you can't, that's the one thing you can't really blame on Chapman lately. And again, you can't really point to there being decreased velocity or less movement. All those seems all those things seem to be be checking out. So it's very mysterious as to why Chapman is just not getting uh swings and misses. Um Mike Aziza wrote a very interesting piece for CBS Sports, I believe it was yesterday, where he came up with five different reasons. And the one that kind of rang true for me is maybe hitters have just figured out a way to connect with, with Chapman's heat. Uh because he does not seem to be doing anything differently in terms of process or results other than the fact that the contact is happening much more often for Chapman. Um, but may, maybe there is a sign there of something being wrong, maybe a health issue. I don't know. I'm, I, I bring up the health issue because I have no other explanation for what's going on with Raldis Chapman lately. But uh, just get your your mouse fingers ready uh, on maybe stashing uh, um, Del Matanzas if he's if he's out there, which may not be all that likely, but uh, just something to really monitor. Uh, back to the good starting pitchers, Max Scherzer, six scoreless innings against the Reds. He did walk four batters, which is really unusual for Scherzer. Didn't really matter in the overall results, though. Only gave up three hits and got 10 strikeouts. Alex Wood with another superb start, uh, although the strikeout total for him was unusually low but again as an Alex Wood owner I am definitely not complaining he went six scoreless in that one at Marlins Park uh, only giving up three hits only walking one batter and going back to Chapman or something very tangentially related to Chapman and that game Friday uh, the Chapman lost for the Yankees Chad Green came in and was just outstanding in middle relief. And so I did a little bit of, of deeper research on Chad Green and saw that he was really, uh, this is the one stat, and this is something I tweeted out, was he's, he's got more strikeouts since his call-up in early May than Julio Tehran does over that same period, and a number of other widely owned starting pitchers. Tanner Rorick was another one. Uh, Jason Vargas, there were several. Um, so Chad Green's uh, a really interesting and viable relief candidate in leagues where all your closers are taken, uh, maybe where you need some help with ratios because, you know, he pitches multiple innings in a shot being a long reliever. So I, I uh, maybe a little late to the game got uh, very intrigued by Chad Green, but picking up on this a little bit earlier in the trajectory, Brock Stewart's doing sort of a similar thing with the Dodgers. And on Saturday, uh, relieving Alex Wood with his uh, great start, Brock Stewart came in and tossed two more scoreless innings. Uh, just one strikeout, though. He's not been really big on strikeouts. But uh, since he's been up, 
He has not given up a run. Brock Stewart, 11 scoreless innings. He has had some BABIP help, but he's also missing bats at a 13% rate, 13% whiff rate for him. And when he's not missing bats, he's inducing a lot of soft contact, which is probably helping to shrink that BABIP. He has a 24% soft contact rate, and that is the exact same rate that Brock Stewart had last season with the Dodgers. So if uh, you need ratios, you need some quality innings in your league, whether it's uh, points league or roto league, uh, and you can't get Chad Green, give Brock Stewart a try. I don't think he's going to give you quite as many strikeouts, but the potential is there for him to improve his strikeout rate. And uh, he has just been dynamite so far. Cole Hamels, he went seven and two-thirds scoreless. And if you think that uh, I'm uh, repeating his previous start. I'm not repeating it. Cole Hamels repeated it. It's his second straight scoreless start of seven and two-thirds innings. This one uh, at Kansas City, he allowed just four hits and a walk with five strikeouts. His K per nine ratio is still really low. It's uh, below six. It's in the five somewhere. But um, the strikeouts are back for Cole Hamels. The the swings and misses are back uh, 10% for the, the month of July and his uh, three starts and an 0.82 ERA and his three July starts. So it really looks like Cole Hamels is back. Um, in that same game, though, Danny Duffy, who I've talked about a few recent episodes, a very good start for him. He went uh, eight and a third, so actually lasted a little bit longer than Hamels did, only gave up one run on five hits with no walks, but only four Ks. And that's an interesting result for Duffy because he's lagged in K-rate despite the fact that his whiff rate is only slightly below where it was last year. Same thing for his called strikes rate. In this start, he got nine swings and misses uh, for uh, roughly a a 10% rate. So that was encouraging. Only 17 called strikes, and that probably depressed the strikeout count for Duffy. I'm going to chalk this one up to the matchup because the Rangers are a very, very aggressive team. They're not going to take strikes. And Duffy's a guy who pounds the strike zone. So really a better matchup for the Rangers in terms of strikeouts is get a guy in there who doesn't pitch in the zone a whole lot. That's not Duffy. So I still think he's a good buy low candidate. Anyway, uh, time to head to break. And when we come back, I'm going to be joined by Emily Walden. Really looking forward to this discussion about the Tigers. think you'll enjoy it. Stick around. We'll be right back. Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and it's guest time. Time for a special guest segment. And joining me today from 2080 Baseball is Emily Walden. Emily, welcome back to the show. Thank you so much. It's fun to be back. Uh, well, glad to have you back. And uh, Emily, I know uh, your your work is appearing in some other places too. So besides uh, 2080 Baseball, where where can we find you? Yeah, actually, I just um, had a really cool opportunity to um, join the team at the Athletic Detroit, um, which has been just an amazing, amazing thing. Obviously, everybody knows that I've been, you know, up to my eyeballs and Tigers anyway, so this just gives me <laughs> another platform to be able to produce news from that angle. So definitely very excited to be a part of that. Well, well, congratulations to you, and uh, we'll look look for your work there. And uh, I know we got a lot to talk about the Tigers. It's a very 
timely uh, point in the season to be talking about them with all the trade rumors floating around. But I, I did notice on your uh, Twitter timeline yesterday, you actually were at the park because I know typically you're, you know, you're West Michigan or Toledo, you know, checking out the minor leaguers. But uh, it looked like a spectacular day uh, yesterday at Comerica. Was it as, as nice as it looked in, in the photo that you tweeted? It really was. You really can't ask for better weather like that, especially in Michigan where we all know you can get very hit or miss. <laughs> Um, temperatures and also rain can pop up at random times too. So beautiful, beautiful day, lots of sunshine. And obviously fans got treated to, you know, a lot of home runs and some really, really good offense, which eventually came out into the win. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, uh, and you provided me with a great segue because one of those home runs from J.D. Martinez, uh, that it's probably the name I've seen the most often tossed around. In fact, at the top of the show, I talked about the Rockies having an interest in, in Martinez, he'd be a great fit there for obvious reasons. But um, uh, how likely do you think it is that Martinez is gone within a couple of weeks and, and who uh, could the, the Tigers call up to take a spot? Yeah, it's, it's something that I think as fans, especially people don't want to see JD go. He's obviously become a household thing for the team, but it just comes to a point where the team is in a position where they really don't have a choice. They've got multiple big dollar contracts that are weighing them down and the team obviously isn't getting any younger. Um, I know that the team has their eyes on Jacoby Jones from the outfield perspective. He's got, you know, incredible defense, but his hangup has really been consistency at the plate. So he's somebody that uh, Dave Littlefield has mentioned before that they're still watching him very closely um, obviously, Michael Gerber, um, he's another one who has shown a lot of consistency defensively. He's actually rehabbing right now to uh, to deal with an oblique injury. So trying to get him healthy is going to be a big thing. Then you've got Kristen Stewart, who has that obvious power at the plate, just needs to tweak his defense a bit. So there's a couple options as far as call-ups, and we'll see if they have their eyes on some other prospects from around the league who may be able to fit that role as well. Well, I'm really surprised to hear you lump Kristen Stewart's name uh, in with with the others. Um, and well, Gerber's actually he's at Erie too, right? Is that right? correct? Yeah, he and Stewart okay. are both currently in Erie. Okay, so you think there's there's a decent chance they could call up one, at least one of the two all the way up from from Double A Erie? Then that's uh, I wouldn't have expected that. You know, it's one of those things where I really wouldn't put it past the Tigers at this point, but it's really going to depend on who they pull in from the outside as well. If they bring in someone who's got more consistency or more experience, obviously they're going to go that route. But some of the talk I have heard is that there is a chance if they can remain consistent that they would be considered in September. Um, So I think they're definitely on the table as far as being watched. Um, They're in conversation. I personally think they could use some more time in the AAA level really, you know, work to get their uh, their their feet solidified a little bit more. But I know they have been in talks, so I wouldn't put it past the Tigers to try it. Um, it's a little bit of a long shot, but they are being discussed. Okay, now that's, that's fascinating. Um, so, you know, one name that I've been curious about, so I'm glad to have you on the show to, to you know, shed some light on this. When, when Jim Medusi was up earlier, he was hitting really well, and it – uh, you know, I kind of made a parallel in my own mind about, you know, him coming back from Korea and, uh, you know, looking like a much better hitter, you know, much on a different level. But, but you know, much like we saw from Eric Thames, uh, is, is he a possibility? He, I think, is someone who would definitely be considered as well, just because he has that experience. Um, Jim has definitely been a pleasant surprise. I know when he first kind of came into the mix, 
there was a lot of hesitancy that can he actually produce? Can he be what the Tigers are needing? And he, I think, silenced a lot of doubters by how he has come through. So he's somebody that, um, from the experience perspective, I think would definitely get consideration as well. Um, definitely not a long-term fix just because he is on a little bit of the higher end as far as the age spectrum goes. So not really long-term, but he's somebody that could really kind of step in to assist at this point just until the Tigers can make some more long-term plans. Okay, that totally makes sense. Uh, well, I saw a, a tweet uh, just before we started the show from uh, Lynn Henning, uh, who was, I don't know if he's still a beat writer. I know he was for a long time for Tigers. Um, and he said that the, actually the, the most pursued Tiger right now in the market is Alex Avila. Um, have you heard anything about him or, for that matter, any of the other hitters besides J.D. Martinez uh, as being likely to be traded? Yeah, um, and Lynn is definitely very very active still in the Tigers scene as far as reporting goes. And um, I have heard a lot of talks about Avila, um, talks about him actually being looked at by the Cubs, which would really allow him to make the full spectrum of the Chicago appearances coming from the White Sox at one point and <laughs> hopping across town if you were to go that route. Um, I know he is being looked at. I've heard some teams have expressed a bit of interest in Jose Iglesias. Um, he's another one that you know, it would be hard to see them leave the lineup. But again, the Tigers are going to have to be creative at this point, considering where they are in the standings, considering the age they have on their roster, and considering the lack of a title, as we all know very, very well. There's a lot of changes that are needed. And so I don't see them as being afraid to toss a couple of names out there and see what the response is and see what they can get in return for, for some of these big dollar contracts that they have right now. Okay. Uh, well, another name that's been uh, discussed in trade rumors that I found really surprising is Michael Fulmer, and another great start yesterday. Uh, and, of course, Justin Verlander, too. A little less surprising for him, but um, John Heyman recently reported that their Tigers aren't really getting getting bites. Uh, it would be obvious that there'd be more interest in, more interest in Fulmer uh, given how much cheaper he would be. But um, so I'll toss you the same question in regards to Verlander and Fulmer. What's uh, your sense of the likelihood that they're going? And where are the reinforcements coming from if they do go? Yeah, as far as between the two, I think Verlander's chances of going are a lot higher than Fulmer's. Um, I've always seen Fulmer as a piece that the Tigers would prefer to invest in as opposed to trade off. Um, so I would say out of the two, definitely more Verlander. And um, for him, it's really going to come down to can he stay consistent to be considered by other teams. I know he's been a little streaky lately and um, hasn't been his usual consistent self as far as how dominant we know he can be. Um, so I don't know if that's eventually going to hurt his trade value, but he is someone who's under a lot of consideration um, as far as being moved. So I would say out of the two, I would be very, very shocked at the Tigers did come to that point of agreeing to move Fulmer. So that would be my thought on that. Okay. And, uh, you know, Tiger's not known right now for being terribly deep in pitching. Uh, so you think it's just that they, they call on, on, you know, kind of the usual suspects, Matt Boyd and, and Buck Farmer, or you think they might uh, dig a little deeper as, you know, you suggested with, uh, you know, maybe calling up Kristen Stewart um, or, or Mike Gerber, uh, you know, maybe they, they go down to double a and, and call up Bo Burrows. Any chance of that happening? 
You know, I think that probably at this point, unless they pull in a few fresh arms from outside of the organization, the arms that they have for the future, I think, are still a bit too fresh. Um, Bob Burroughs is really starting to kind of get his footing at the AA level, but that took some time. Um, he's trying to work in a new pitch as well, which obviously we know that that's going to take some time to develop that. But um, the arms that they have for the future are on the way, but they're still a bit low to where I don't know if they could constantly be moved up to that level for consideration without seeing some serious struggle. And so I think it's going to probably come down to Boyd possibly putting for Haken in the pen. Again, I think he's still a viable option from a relief standpoint. I don't know if he long-term could hold that starting role just because he tends to struggle a bit more in the longer spurt. So um, that's going to kind of be um, the direction they'll probably have to take, at least for now, until they can get some more development out of some of the arms that they have lower down. All right. Well, you know, that's, that's no surprise uh, to me at all. Uh, but <laughs> you surprised me with the uh, with the Kristen Stewart uh, possibility. So figured I'd ask. Uh, and uh, lastly, uh, Emily, uh, maybe the, the most likely Tiger to be moved would be Justin Wilson. He's been rumored to be going just about everywhere. Um, so what do you think are the chances that that's going to happen and, uh, you know, do they just go, you know, down the pecking order and, and put Alex Wilson or Shane Green in, in the ninth inning or some other candidates? Uh, are they lurking there? You know, I've always been a fan of Shane Green and more of that, that uh, late inning role just because I feel like he has shown he can be consistent. And as far as who's going to get moved at what time, I think that I've, I'm really not putting anything past the Tigers at this point. They're going to have to get creative. They're going to have to be willing to shift some of these pieces around in order to build a more solid roster. So as far as the different relievers are talking about shopping, um, I think that it's going to it's going to require some creativity from their part. So we should see some interesting moves coming up here in the, the next little bit. Absolutely. Uh, yeah, and no, I think it's going to be uh, really interesting to watch. And, and you know, I imagine in a couple of weeks that this team – might not resemble its its current form uh, very much. So, uh, well, Emily, again, I want to thank you for uh, joining me on the show, and, and thank you for uh, you know all the information. Uh, like I said, some of the things you mentioned never would have guessed. So, thank you for for joining us, and, and please do check Emily out on uh, Twitter and uh, also at Twenty Eighty Baseball and the Athletic Detroit. Thanks very much, Emily. Yeah, thanks so much. All right, folks. Well, uh, hope you enjoyed that. Stay tuned. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm Alma Melchior, the host of this show, and the guest for this show was Emily Walden. If you missed her uh, on that last segment, uh, be sure to uh, check out the interview uh, up on iTunes. should be up there later today, or uh, uh, tweet out the uh, streaming version from Audioboom. All kinds of way to, ways to catch this show. Uh, really, really uh, great info from Emily and uh, did mention she's uh, on Twitter, very active there. You can find her at Emily Walden, W-A-L-D-O-N 2080, uh, at Emily Walden 2080. So uh, always great to have Emily on the show, and I thank her for uh, taking the time to spend with us today. Uh, also, speaking of Twitter, uh, via that uh, website, we have uh, some a little bit of, of trade news, or tr- at least uh, trade development, from Bob Nightingale of USA Today. 
Uh, he uh, tweeted out uh, within the half hour or so that the Red Sox are moving closer to acquiring Todd Frazier. Of course, this, had, uh, I think it was Ken Rosenthal saying uh, that he thought it was close to inevitable. Uh, of course, that's, he also clarified, doesn't mean it is inevitable. That was just kind of his, his perception on it. But uh, Nightingale now tweeting that the Red Sox are indeed moving closer to acquiring Todd Frazier. Um, nothing here in the tweet from Nightingale about who might go the other way. But um, he does say, would be interesting if Boston could get David Robertson as a setup man in the package. So the uh, relief wars continue with the Dodgers thinking about getting Zach Britton, Boston uh, looking at a potential David Robertson, Craig Kimbrell, uh, one-two punch in the eighth and ninth. That'd be very interesting. Also means uh, while you're getting your... uh, Mouse finger, uh, you know, uh, prepared uh, maybe for Delmonte's if, if, you know, there's something up with uh, Araldus Chapman, which is what I said earlier. Uh, you know, you might want to take a break from that and, and get it queued up on, uh, uh, on uh, I'm sorry, uh, Tommy Canely. Just had a, just a brief uh, little brain cramp on Canely's first name. Uh, so, yeah, I would think that he would be the clear option to succeed Robertson. I've been saying that for weeks, and I'm not, you know, not the only one. So um, it, it's getting to be time there uh, for the White Sox. So keep you updated on that as well. And by the way, uh, it was very timely to have Emily on the show today. Um, tomorrow, we're going to have Chris Swick on the show. And we're going to talk a lot of White Sox talk. So uh also could be a very timely time to be talking to Chris Swick from Yahoo Sports. So looking forward to that conversation and hope you join us for that one. So having Emily on the show, did mention Michael Fulmer had another great start. This one against the Blue Jays uh, went eight innings on Saturday, giving up only two hits and one walk, but just three strikeouts, just allowed one run. Uh, that's a little light on strikeouts for Fulmer, but you know he's not the guy that you're going to count on for the eye-popping strikeout numbers, he's the one you're going to count on to induce a lot of soft contact and go really deep into games, and he did it again. And one last uh, note before we wind up the first of this two-hour uh, extravaganza. Lance Lynn, uh, very, very nice start, and a second straight scoreless outing. Uh, this one on Saturday at Pittsburgh, going six and a third innings, no walks, only three strikeouts, uh, eight hits allowed. But uh, Lynn is on a nice little run here over his last four starts combined, a 1.82 ERA. But I'm just, and I feel like I've been such a downer on Lance Lynn all season long. But the peripherals just still haven't really been there over this very good four-start stretch, an 8% whiff rate, which is, I'd say, mediocre at best, Um, 18% K rate, ditto that, and an 80% strand rate, a 264 BABIP. All of that helping to improve Lynn's numbers. So just a little red flag of caution there. Anyways, that's a wrap on the pitching performances and on this first hour. So stick around. Be back with some check-ins on games in progress and lots of hitter performances to break down. You're listening to the Fantasy Sports Radio Network. Ladies and gentlemen, your attention please, now batting for Fantasy Sports Radio Network, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball, the host, Al Melchior, Fan Rock Fantasy Baseball. 
Welcome, everybody, to the second hour of the Sunday edition of FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And coming up this hour, lots of good stuff for you. Uh, we covered the pitchers from uh, Saturday pretty thoroughly in the first hour, so going to turn our attention to some of the great hitting performances uh, in this hour. Also uh, going to check in, uh, in fact, very shortly on some of the games in progress, and we'll continue to check in throughout the hour. But I'm also going to continue an exercise that I started on Friday's show and really continued a bit with our first hour guest, who was Emily Walden from 2080 Baseball. Uh, looking at some of the potential trade fallout over the next week or two, who might be on the move and who might be there to serve as a reinforcement, pick up playing time, take on a bigger role. Uh, Tigers are certainly a very, very uh, important team to watch in terms of all of that, but uh, several other teams that are poised to be uh, sellers over the next few weeks. Um, so some other names to uh, be aware of as well. We'll get to those. Uh, a look at some of the two-star pitching options, all kinds of things to get to in this first hour. But let's kick it off with uh, a check-in on some of the games in progress. Uh, I'd already talked a bit about the Rockies and the Mets, uh, and Steve and Matt's already out of that game, which is just in the second inning. That is 7 nothing Rockies, and uh, all seven runs were yielded by Mats. Um, Jeff Hoffman certainly holding his own against the Mets, Mets in that one so far. But, um, yeah, Steven Matt's really concerned there because it's not really going all that well for him. In fact, even when it, it was going better for Mats uh, over his first few starts, uh, there was some concern about, uh, you know, the lack of strikeouts, the last lack of missed bats. Uh, some hard contact, and that all seems to be coming home to roost for him, uh, and especially in this start, making it one inning. So 7 nothing. that one now in the top of the third. Uh, so Rocky's back up in that one. And if you enjoyed uh, last night's uh, marathon between the Yankees and Red Sox, might have another one brewing uh, after three innings. That one's a scoreless tie. So CC Sabathia and Rick Porcello dueling in that one. Sabathia's uh, walked last time I looked. It was uh, he had three walks, but uh, didn't pay for it. Zip zip uh, there uh, up in Boston, and uh, Dodgers now up two nothing over the Marlins. Chris O'Grady holding his own in that one in his second major league uh, start, second major league performance. But uh, Rich Hill having a great start so far against the Marlins. And Tigers and Blue Jays, uh, I'd mentioned earlier in the show, that one looked like that might be a threat of a rain delay later on. But uh, so far, so good there. 3-3 tie, both uh, Anibal Sanchez and uh, Marco Estrada struggling in that one. Uh, so a little, little bit of a departure there from Anibal Sanchez, who looked really good so far uh, coming up from AAA Toledo. So we'll come back to those games and some other ones a little bit later on. But uh, stick around. Going to review some hitting performances in the next segment. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And... Uh, Start off uh, with a few lineups uh, to check in on you know, for a Sunday. These lineups, for the most part, look uh, pretty conventional, I got to say. But um, 
With the A's uh, starting the lefty Sean Manaya, got a couple of names that we haven't seen much in the uh, Indians lineup. Uh, we've got Abraham Almonte in center field. We've got the lefty killer Brandon Geyer in right field. And yesterday uh, they started Tyler Naquin, uh, which was kind of interesting to see. You got uh, Giovanni Urshela uh, over at third base. So, uh, you know, otherwise uh, the, the usuals in the Indians lineup. Uh, and the Angels, I mentioned earlier, that uh, figured Nick Franklin might see the bulk of the uh, the bulk of the starts over at second base, with Danny Espinosa being designated for assignment. And in fact, Nick Franklin is in the Angels lineup. He's batting ninth, but he is there starting at uh, second base. So, uh, like I said, pretty much conventional lineups for the most part. Uh, but uh, we've still got the uh, Yankees, Red Sox. In fact, those are the only ones that aren't in, and that's an eight o'clock game. So uh, that's the nightcap of the doubleheader. Uh, and as I mentioned before, the uh, first game well underway is in the fourth inning, still scoreless there uh, at Fenway Park. We'll get back to that one a little bit later. But uh, as promised, let's take a look at some of the notable hitting performances. Uh, I would say Saturday was a day that was largely dominated by pitching. But uh, the, the big hitting performances that were big were really big, and I don't think they get any bigger than Cody, Cody Bellinger recording the first cycle by a rookie in Dodgers history, uh, this uh, against the Marlins at Marlins Park. So Bellinger just keeps on producing for the Dodgers. Uh, Anthony Rendon also keeps producing. He had uh, a two-homer game. He is now up to 18 homers on the season, six RBIs against the Reds at Great American Ballpark, also walked twice. So just a fantastic all-around game for uh, Anthony Rendon. And sort of like the, the, the pitching, you know, with Sale and, and Scherzer, uh, Severino, Alex Wood, all turning in really great performances. Um, you know, when you see Cody Bellinger and Anthony Rendon have a big game at this point, it's like, well, you know, ho-hum. <laughs> Nothing much to see there. Uh, and as I mentioned, Sale and, and Scherzer and, and all those uh, ace-type pitchers having great games, I realized I, I skipped something really important in the first hour. So good to kind of have saved that one. Unintentionally, I'll admit. <laughs> but I have it saved to talk about here in the, uh, in the second hour. Madison Bumgarner made his first start coming back off the uh, off the DL long DL stint, and um, it was kind of a mixed bag. I'd say with a first start against most teams, you'd be really encouraged by this. But this was against the Padres. Bub Garner did last seven innings, so right there, very very encouraging. Uh, allowed three runs, so quality start there for Bum Garner. Only four hits allowed, two walks, and five Ks. So the five Ks. If there's anything that stands out there. Maybe the three runs against the Padres offense that's at or near the bottom in, in just about every category. But, uh, you know, the 5Ks may be a little concerning. But here's the thing that really, really uh, caught my attention in reviewing the start from Madison Bumgarner. He averaged 90 miles an hour on his fastball. So that is way, way off where he was earlier this season and where he typically is, I'd say, at least a couple miles per hour. So um, that is definitely something for us to be tracking in future starts for Madison Bumgarner. Very concerning because, again, against, uh, you know, let's say it was against good offense. You'd look at that and say, wow, that, that's a really good first start back from Madison Bumgarner. But against the Padres, who uh, very typically 
are able to allow pitchers to put up really impressive lines, like much more impressive even than that line that Bumgarner put up, you would have expected a little more from Bumgarner, even in his first start back, against a lineup like the Padres lineup. Uh, and then when you see that, he was not throwing anywhere close to as hard as he typically does. That, to me, is really uh, a cause for concern. So uh, I apologize for not getting to that one earlier. I just dove right into all those major pitching performances and uh, glad I was able to come back to that one. So anyhow, uh, back to the hitters. So Bellinger and Rendon, some great performances, but nothing terribly out of the ordinary for them. But we also had two home run games from Matt Chapman and for Luis Valbuena. And these are both hitters that certainly have shown that they have power with Chapman, of course, that's in the minor leagues. Chapman, in fact, had never hit a major league home run before. These were his first two major league home runs, but plenty of power in the A's system from Chapman. And Valbuena, we've seen him uh, as a Cub, as an Astro. We've seen him hit for power. But the MO for both of these hitters is strikingly similar. Uh, Matt Chapman, a very, very extreme fly ball hitter. And in his brief time with the A's, he's gone ultra extreme. He has a 59% fly ball rate. I mean, that is that is outrageously high. Um, Valbuena, you know, by, by comparison, seems very mild. But a 45% fly ball rate, which is what Valbuena has, is still, I mean, that, that's a high fly ball rate. So these are guys who are going to produce power. Uh, and typically they have done it at the expense of their batting average. And you can see why. A lot of fly ball outs to go with the fly balls. That leave the park. Uh, both of them leaving twice. So for Chapman, as I said, his first two home runs as a major leaguer, Valbuena, he is now up to eight home runs on the season, which is not bad at all when you consider that he missed uh, quite a bit of time earlier in the year with injury. He His role has uh, sort of been uh, yo-yoed back and forth, uh, you know, given the uh, kind of the shuttle that uh, C.J. Crone has been on uh, back and forth uh, between the Angels and AAA. But uh, Valbuena, up to eight home runs now. Scooter Jeanette, up to 16 home runs now. If anybody in their preseason bold predictions (laughs) was bold enough to uh, project that Scooter Jeanette was going to hit 16 home runs this year, and I'm not even talking about 16 home runs by the middle of July. I'm just saying the full season. How many people would have predicted that? Probably nobody. And certainly for him to be on a pace right now where, you know, he could could conceivably finish with, you know, 25. And that might not even be that crazy of uh, an end-of-season projection for for Jeanette because his playing time has been very sporadic, but not lately. In fact, this is really a kind of a weird turn of events for the Reds that just coming off of an All-Star game, Zach Cozart voted in as a starter – Uh, having a spectacular first half that did end on a little bit of a down note, but, you know, still uh, overall a great first half for Zach Cozart. He's losing some playing time now, him more so, uh, you know, really than, than anybody else in, um, in the, uh, in the Reds lineup. And, you know, I would have thought, okay, they've got to make room for Jeanette somehow, you know, with, with the way that he's hitting, you figure Jose Peraza, I would figure, I shouldn't put this on you, I would figure Jose Peraza would be the one. Uh, but, you know, again, today, Peraza at shortstop, Jeanette uh, at second base. 
So uh, Zach Cozart, he's got an all-star start uh, under his belt, a great first half under his belt. He uh, now has a donkey, which uh, is one of my favorite things that has happened in baseball this year, but uh, may not necessarily have a starting job now, which is which to me is just very bizarre. But over his last 20 games, Scooter Jeanette has hit 351 with nine home runs. Let that sink in for a minute because we're talking 20 games. 351 with nine home runs, so almost one home run every other day, or every other game, I should say, because he's not quite playing daily yet, um, Jeanette. But, uh, man, what an incredible season. What an incredible stretch. I mean, Jeanette was already having a season that was uh, you know, far beyond people's expectations at the point where he started this 20-game run. Um. So this has got to be, for me, one of the most unexpected turns of this major league season. Uh, Scooter Jeanette working himself into what looks like some regular time with some pretty consistent hitting, both in terms of batting average on base percentage, too. Don't want to overlook that. That's certainly something that we had not seen a whole lot of from uh, Jeanette in his past. Uh, hitting for average on base percentage and lots of power, lots of power pretty consistently. So he keeps that going. And Miguel Cabrera to get back on the Tiger talk here, which we've had a lot of on this show. 12th home run of the season for Cabrera in a three hit effort on Saturday against the Blue Jays. Over his last 25 games, he's hit seven home runs. It's not quite a Scooter Jeanette pace. But you wouldn't argue with that, right? Seven home runs over a 25-game stretch for Cabrera. So, you know, you, you, you know, multiply that out. That's a 40-plus homer pace over a whole season. But he's only hitting 247. And his strikeout rate is pretty much right around where it's been all year, right around 19%. But he's got 239 BABIP over his last 25 games. And when we come back from break, we're going to dig into that batting average the overall one and the one on balls and play because uh i'll just foreshadow it you're not going to buy it anyways <laughs> that and much much more more when we come back from this break Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And let's say we check in with uh, the many games that are still going on. Uh, last time we checked in, the uh, Yankees and Red Sox had a scoreless tie, and now the Yankees have uh, practically broken that one open. They're up 2 nothing. so maybe no uh, marathon game there, and they can get that... <laughs> That uh, nightcap game in uh, in that double header, uh, and uh, some of the games that we haven't checked on that started a, a little bit later. Uh, Braves up on the Diamondbacks, two nothing. Uh, and then Zach Godley's going in that one, uh, so he's given up a, a couple of runs. And how about this one, Cubs and Orioles? So uh, you've got the NL debut of Jose Quintana. And uh, it's going quite well. So he has held the uh, Orioles scoreless through a couple of innings, uh, three strikeouts, no walks, going up against Ubaldo, excuse me, against, uh, Ubaldo Jimenez. Uh, not going so well for him. Although, you know, let's face it, on paper, that looked like pretty much of a mismatch. 
Don't know much how much uh, longer Jimenez might be uh, in this game. He's already given up four runs over three innings on eight hits and a walk. So uh, Cubs off to a good start in that one, and Jose Quintana off to a very nice start. Although, I mean, it is technically his NL debut, but, you know, facing a familiar team, the Orioles. Uh, Pirates off to a one nothing lead against the Cardinals. And uh, just in the second inning, Twins and Astros scoreless. Phillies Brewers just underway, uh, but that one, uh, nothing, nothing. Phillies did not score in the uh, top of the first there. Same deal with the Mariners and White Sox. Uh, Mariners did not score in the top. of And uh, Rangers and Royals just getting underway there. So uh, catch you up on uh, those scores probably at least one more time. Uh, in the process of this show. But let me continue on with uh, some analysis that I started in the last segment on Miguel Cabrera uh, because he is just having a peculiar season. And to look at the underlying peripheral stats, you'd think he was due to bust out at at any time. And maybe we saw part of that on Saturday, uh, just to reiterate there, a three-hit game at home against Toronto, his 12th home run of the season. And he's on, he's definitely picked up the home run pace now uh, over, uh, over about a month uh, with seven home runs in his last 25 games. So that is certainly, if you're looking for encouragement there, you can get it there. But over that same span, Cabrera's hitting just 247 with uh, a 238 BABIP. Uh, so looking underneath the batting average, how is he getting there? Well, as I mentioned before, no real change in the strikeout rate. So that's that's not an explanation. Uh, the, so the BABIP is really the whole thing, you know, is it that he's not making hard contact? Hardly not. His soft contact rate over the 25 games of this stretch where he's hitting 247, 7%. I mean, almost no soft contact from Miguel Cabrera for a month's time. Hard contact rate. Equally ridiculous, 54%. Uh, Now, the average fly ball distance is good, but not quite as eye-popping. 332 feet, but that's definitely above average. Uh, You know, it's it's a little bit out of line with a 54% hard contact rate, which means that some of that hard contact, first of all, probably in the form of a line drive, and some of the fly balls may not be, uh, you know, complete monster shots in terms of distance. But there's absolutely nothing there in that profile that would you, that would suggest to you Miguel Cabrera is a 250 hitter. Absolutely none. I mean, all of that looks like Cabrera should be hitting 300 rest of season. Um, I fully expect that he will, and I will certainly take seven home runs per month from him as well from here on out. Even if he's a little short of that, even if it's you know five or six, which he's fully capable of, especially if he maintains these kinds of peripherals. Uh, so I think there's still maybe a buy low opportunity out there for Miguel Cabrera, even though he's getting those power numbers back up to where they, they belong. Already talked about J.D. Martinez on the show actually twice. First in the news segment to talk about the fact that the Rockies are targeting him, which is great news for mixed league J.D. Martinez owners. Not such great news for AL only league J.D. Martinez owners. Uh, and then again, talking with Emily Walden from 2080 Baseball about Martinez and the trade prospects there. Uh, but also worth reviewing what he did on Saturday, went three for five, hit his 15th home run of the year. Um, 
and also his 13th double of the year. So he's having just a tremendous season. Really, I would say would say not only picking up where he left off last year, which was something of a breakout year for Martinez, not that he was not very good before, but took it up another notch last season. I'd say in a sort of a similar way that we've seen Jose Ramirez go from very good to great this year. We saw that from J.D. Martinez last year. This year, maybe even taking yet another step somehow, taking it forward. Uh, going into today's game against the Blue Jays, Martinez had a 4-11 Woba, which uh, was good for 11th best among hitters with at least 200 plate appearances. So, um, you know, he's been elite, J.D. Martinez. If you drafted him this year and, and you know, waited out the DL stint, you uh, you did did very well for yourself, to be sure. Um Let's uh, kind of change the subject here a bit because those really are the major hit, hitter performances from Saturday's games. And look ahead to next week. Uh, and, you know, I don't have a whole lot of time in this segment, so um, this is not going to be a really lengthy discussion, but it doesn't need to be. I want to talk about the two-star pitchers for next week. And unfortunately, there really isn't a whole lot to talk about Um you know, because it's, uh, you know, kind of the usual suspects or the, you know, the available pitchers for the most part are not players that you should be all that, that eager to target. So it, it, for me, it really comes down to three pitchers that you should check on to see if they're available on waivers. Uh, and in a lot of leagues, they won't necessarily be at least two of these pitchers. The third, uh, the third of the three pitchers is somebody who is widely available just about everywhere. Uh, so this may be the guy that you target and there's some risk involved. But enough of the, the, the prelude. Let, let's get to the actual the actual pitchers. Um, first of all, Michael Waka has been much, much better lately. It seemed just at the time when owners were starting to bail on him, when he was giving us reason to think that he wasn't uh, worth owning in a 12-team mixed league. Uh, Waka's been, been very reliable. And he gets a couple starts this week that are, you know, not not overwhelmingly great matchups, but good enough to certainly trust him, uh, given how well it's been going for Waka on the whole lately. Uh, he gets the Mets at City Field and then finishes up with the Cubs at Wrigley Field. So um, the Cubs have really struggled against righties this year, uh, which is, you know, it's sort of strange. I don't really trust that to continue. But, um, you know, that's uh, that actually the two two starts. That may be the one that I feel the best about. The Mets have a lot of lefties in the lineup. Um, the one thing that I think does and should help Waka out when he faces them is the Mets have been one of the worst teams in terms of home production this year, which doesn't necessarily make a whole lot of sense to me, but it is what it is. Uh, so I think you can trust that to a certain extent. It should be a, a good, if not a great, two-start week for Michael Waka, and he could be out there uh, in some of your your mixed leagues. So uh, that's that's a name to look for. And just as uh, sort of a uh, a coda to that, uh, Adam Wainwright also lines up for uh, two starts next week, uh, since the, the Cardinals, they do have a seven-game uh, seven week, so they both should get uh, two starts. Wainwright actually goes first. He goes on Monday, then walk on Tuesday at the Mets. Uh, but Wainwright, it's been Jekyll and Hyde for him in terms of home-road splits. So Wainwright's been very, very bad on the road. 
City Field is not, even though the Mets have not been good at home, it's not that it's a particularly good venue. Maybe the Mets being bad at home uh, offensively is something that, that saves Wainwright a little bit, but I, I definitely don't trust him at Wrigley. Uh, again, even with the Cubs struggles against righties, it's just Wainwright's not been very good on the road. So I would take a pass on him, only go for Waka. And then the second uh, sort of uh, bigger name pitcher who might be out there is Eduardo Rodriguez. There's some risk here because this will be uh, his first start coming off of the DL. But he gets the Blue Jays at home, which is a decent, uh, decent matchup. Not a great one, but a decent one. But then he goes to Anaheim to face the Angels. So Rodriguez, as an extreme fly ball pitcher, gets a great venue against a lineup that certainly got better, a lot better with Mike Trout in it, but I think it's still a pretty good matchup for uh, for Rodriguez. So I think he's, uh, I understand there's risk there uh, in terms of him not having uh, pitched in a while. But again, that's, that's kind of the nature of this week's two-start options. They're not really great. And if Waka and Rodriguez aren't available, and particularly if you're just not ready to take the risk with Rodriguez, of course, you're going to be taking a lot of risk with this guy too. Brent Suter, who's had two very good starts in a row for the Brewers, gets two very good matchups this week. He gets the Pirates at PNC Park. So good venue there in addition to a team that doesn't hit righties all that well. And then he has to go to Philadelphia, not the best venue, but again, the Phillies, one of the worst teams against righties in the major leagues. So I'm going to be taking a flyer on Suter in some leagues, even some 12-team mixed leagues. And that might sound crazy because uh, he hasn't spent long in the in the uh, Brewers rotation, but he's been very good. He's got good matchups, but easier matchups than, than the last couple he's had. So um going to be worth a try if, if you need that extra start. So that is a very, very abbreviated rundown of some waiver wire two-start options to consider in the case of Adam Wainwright to not consider. So when we come back, going to take a look at the trade market and see what fallout you should be aware of. Stick around. I'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. You are listening to FanRag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior, and I uh, promised I would get to the trade market fallout. So uh, I think a good way to kick that off is uh, to head back to Twitter and see what Bob Nightingale's got to say about this uh, developing Todd Frazier deal to Boston. And latest tweet for uh, from him is uh, the White Sox would only get a fringe prospect in return for Frazier and would have to eat a part of the contract, too. So if uh, you're uh, anxiously awaiting to see what uh, the, the hall might be and, and who might be there to, uh, uh, you know, to, to fill some gaps, it uh, doesn't sound like there's much uh, help on the way in, in terms of that. But again, this is all developing. Certainly nothing definitive yet, but um, should be interesting to, uh, to track that over uh, the next few hours, maybe next few days even, depending on how uh, quickly or slowly that um, that develops. So on Friday's show, I started to go team by team, uh, at least the ones that look like they are likely sellers, and look at who would uh, you know be filling some holes with the departure of players who are expected to be traded. I got as far as the NL East, so I'm not going to. Uh, there's nothing really new there to recap, um, and I'm, I'm actually going to going to 
skip or call an audible here and kind of skip around because since we're talking about the Frazier trade, I want to uh, get to the White Sox. And we've already talked about the possibility of them trading David Robertson. Uh, he may even be included in this Frazier deal, which would really be amazing considering that they may not be getting much back, according to uh, uh, Bob Nightingale. But um, a name that you may not uh, be hearing much about, to be honest, I, I have not read or heard much about in terms of a reinforcement is Nikki Delmonico. And the assumption I had been making, I certainly was making it going into the season, um, was that Yoan Moncada would probably slide over to third base because going into the season, it seemed pretty obvious that the Todd Frazier was likely to be traded. And so you just, you know, connect the dots and figure, you know, with the White Sox acquiring Moncada over the offseason. Okay, well, this is this is kind of a, a, an obvious plug-in. But Moncada at AAA Charlotte has played second base exclusively. So for a team that seems to be pretty close to trading Todd Frazier, that's that's a little surprising to me. It sends really a different signal. And it's certainly not as if the White Sox don't really have a gap to fill at second base. They've been using Elmer Sanchez. Uh, Alan Hansen's gotten some playing time there. But, uh, you know, neither of them would, you would think, be a roadblock to Yohan Moncada. So it looks more and more to me that if they're not getting some sort of replacement back in the deal with the Red Sox, again, this hasn't happened yet, but it, it sounds like it's gaining a lot of momentum and it's moving along. If they're going to make a deal right now, Delmonico would seem like maybe the most likely fill in there. Um, so, you know, he's he's having a, a decent season there at uh, at Charlotte. Not a lot of power, particularly for someone playing home games and a very, very good power park, home run park. But, um, you know, with regular playing time, could be somebody who helps you with, with batting average. Uh, not in a big way, but, but, you know, in a deep league, mostly AL only. It's just a name to tuck away. Maybe think about for your Sunday fab, especially if this Frazier deal does go through by the end of the day. Uh, just a name to tuck away. Uh, of course, there is that closer situation, and I think the obvious name there is Tommy Canley. But then there's also the rotation. Quintana uh, already gone. Uh, the White Sox don't need a fifth starter until sometime next week. Doesn't necessarily mean that they will only go with four starters this week. And uh, I think they'll be getting Miguel Gonzalez back. So that would kind of take care of things right there anyway. But when you're talking about a rotation, you know, that does have Mike Pelfrey and, and Gonzalez, uh, James Shields. I think there's, there, you know, there's got to be an opportunity at some point later this season. Maybe not as soon as we would like, but later this season to see Lucas Giolito and Ronaldo Lopez. So um, they're worthy stashes. I'm not as excited about them as some people are, you know, because they, their AAA seasons haven't really been that great. Um, the White Sox can certainly get by with the rotation that they've got. But, uh, you know, if you've got the room, they could they could help you somewhere. You know, I would guess probably sometime after the trade deadline, August, September, and probably more so in deeper leagues than in 10 or 12 teamers. But, um you know, you've certainly heard and read in other places that they're worthy stashes. So I'm not probably not telling you anything you don't already know. 
Uh, sticking then in the American League, we've already talked quite a bit about the Tigers on this show. Um, it's worth repeating, though, because to me it was was really a revelation when I talked to Emily Walden last hour that we could see Kristen Stewart up this year. I didn't expect to hear that. And again, it's just um, you know just discussion at this point. But the fact that that he's even really in that discussion. I think it's pretty interesting. He's had a real breakout year at Double A, uh, lots of power, but really becoming a more complete hitter. So, I would say at this point, maybe just AL only. Uh, that you know, again, because I, you know, it's the first I'd heard of it. But if there's any chance in, in a deep league where you know you may not have a lot of great options in terms of of your stashes. Kristen Stewart might be somebody to, to tuck away. You know, it, it, to me, it's a little bit reminiscent of last year when, when there was kind of the first inkling that Andrew Benintending might be coming up last year. I picked him up in an AL only league, and and you know, and then he you know got called up, and I was was lucky to have him. So uh, you know, Stewart batting two seventy two with with double A Erie with twenty home runs in eighty seven games. So. Lots of power there. It'd be nice to to see that uh, late in the season, to be sure. Um, but you know, so many holes there to to fill in the Tigers, and I feel like we uh, you know covered that pretty pretty thoroughly in the last hour. Um, so uh, let's see uh, what else we got here in the American League. Uh, so we got the White Sox, we got the Tigers. If we go to the East, you got uh, the Orioles. And you know, I think the big one there is the potential for Zach Britton to be traded. So uh, I'll just keep reiterating that Brad Brock should not be dropped any other under any circumstance. And yeah, he had a little bit of a, a rough outing on Friday, but overall, he's been you know while Britton's been out this this uh, the second stretch, and then since Britton's come back, and Buck Showalter's been kind of slow to get Britton back into that closer's role. Uh, Brock has really been outstanding. So do do not absolutely drop him uh the blue jays uh the, this is a situation i talked about earlier in the week with jonah carey on this show they seem like very likely um likely uh sellers but i think that's a situation where you have to look at who they get back in a trade because the good options that they have in the minor leagues are pretty far away from uh, from the major leagues so you know i don't think we're going to see like a, a you know connor green come up uh and and replace uh Jay Happ. So that's one that we're just going to have to kind of take the longer term view on. As far as the A's go, they seem like very likely uh, traders. There's been all kinds of uh, Sonny Gray rumors. The most recently I saw was that the Indians were interested in Sonny Gray, but they've got plenty of in-house options. And what I'd really like to see is Jesse Hahn get back into that rotation. It's a AAA right now, had a rough, rough go last few starts before the demotion. But um, early in the year, he looked awfully good. And he's ne- probably never going to be a big strikeout guy, but he was somebody who had a very, very low pull rate on the fly balls he was allowing and really was doing a great job with preventing hits and extra base hits on balls in play. So in that, in that sort of sneaky way, I'd like to see Jesse Hahn give it another shot. Uh, I also think Matt Olson could get another shot up in the major leagues. Uh, showed some good power when he was up. Didn't really get uh, very much of a chance to stick. But, uh, you know, if Yonder Alonso gets dealt, uh, you know, or, um, 
you know, I'm not really sure who else in that lineup uh, could get dealt, but I think one way or another that uh, there'll be some room for Matt Olson later in the season, and he'll be be a really nice power source. If we go back to the NL, where I started this uh, all on Friday, few teams uh, to watch. The Reds have already talked about, and the situation that's developing with Scooter Jeanette just hitting like crazy, getting regular play. Uh, Zach Cozart, that certainly makes him very expendable. He was nearly dealt in the offseason to the Mariners. So uh, I feel pretty good about Scooter Jeanette's chances to keep on playing and probably even better about uh, Zach Cozart's chances of being dealt out of town. There have been some rumors about Rysel Iglesias getting traded. Now, the Nationals, you would think, would probably be off the board at this point for Iglesias, but I think the Reds, as a a non-contender, would still have a strong uh, a strong incentive to deal Iglesias somewhere. And I I would really put my fab money on Michael Lorenzen because uh, he's been pretty consistently pitching the eighth. He was in that mix actually very, very early in the season to get saves. And Drew Storen, I could see he's having a nice year, but I could see Storen getting dealt as well. Uh, the Giants, that's an interesting one to watch too. Mark Melanson, I think once he gets healthy, He'd be an obvious uh, person to trade. So that just solidifies Sam Dyson's value even more. And um, Johnny Cueto gets traded. Maybe they just bring you know Matt Kane back into the rotation. But also maybe it's the opportunity to call up Tyler Beatty, who's having a, a pretty nice uh, season in the minors. So, you know, sort of in the similar way that I was suggesting, you know, in a deep league, like a league only is so in this case, NL only, you know, an AL only, maybe, you know, make room for like a Dickie, uh, I'm sorry, a, a, a Nicky Delmonico. Uh, NL only league, if you got the room, stash Tyler Beatty. He could be a, a useful arm down the stretch, perhaps. So anyways, uh, just a few names for you to take note of for stashing. Uh, stick around. Be right back. Final segment. Don't want to miss it. Be right back. Welcome back. You are listening to Fan Rag Fantasy Baseball. I'm your host, Al Melchior. And I've got a little bit more news to share with you. Uh, This is not a trade or even anything that's got an immediate impact. Interesting, nonetheless, that uh, the Dodgers have promoted Walker Bueller from not uh, not all the way up to the big show, but from double A to triple A Oklahoma City. And uh, this uh, already uh, has been a uh, a uh, you know momentous season for Walker. Started out uh, in uh, advanced class A, has made it up to double uh, A, and over those two levels has a two thirty eight ERA with a twelve point five K nine ratio. Pretty impressive uh, for Walker Bueller. So going up the next step to uh, to the PCL, and uh, I you know. Could be a, sh- a chance for him to come up later. I would think probably more of him. But uh, Bueller really uh, having a breakout season in the minor leagues uh, so far. So uh, making another step. Now let's take a final check-in uh, with some of the major league action. Speaking of the Dodgers, Rich Hill having a heck of a start at Marlins Park. Uh, so, you know, the all the blisters and, and uh, the you know ups and downs that Hill experienced 
earlier in the year seems to be putting those concerns to rest and looking much more like he did last year and and towards the end of 2015 when he uh, you know, emerged with the Red Sox after a long time uh, out of the major leagues. So Hill with nine strikeouts against the Marlins was in a bit of trouble, though, in the uh, bottom of the fifth. John Carlos Stanton had a chance to actually put the Marlins ahead in this game, down three to one with two, uh, two uh, runners on. But instead of hitting a three-home run, Stanton grounded out. So uh, Dodgers still up 3-1, to one, and Chris O'Grady uh, out of that game. But uh, against one of the majors' best lineups, even against lefties, uh, very decent start. I would say impressive, but decent start for, for O'Grady, especially considering the degree of difficulty. Five innings, three runs on five hits and two walks with six strikeouts. So looking like O'Grady is is becoming a deep league option and, and would think he has certainly earned a little bit more time in the Marlins rotation. Um, in that uh, Rockies-Mets game, that one sort of calmed down. It's 9-1 Rockies now, but Rockies jumped out to an early 7-0 lead, uh, knocked uh, Steve Matz out of that game very, very early. But Jeff Hoffman still uh, chugging along in there in the fifth inning with just uh, a Lucas Duda homer uh, for the Mets uh, to show for their efforts against Hoffman. Hoffman, by the way, entered this game having not allowed one extra base hit, not a single one against a left-handed hitter. He's given up that due to home run and a Jay Bruce double in that game, but still overall good, although they just put two more runs on the board. I don't know exactly what happened there with uh, the Mets, but it is now a 9-3 to game. Uh, Colorado still with a comfy lead there. And Zach Godley, very unusual start for him today uh, against the Braves. Braves are now up 6-1. to one. They had a big third inning with home runs uh, from the Mats. Mats, uh, not the Mets, the Mats. Uh, Matt Adams and Matt Kemp homering uh, off of Zach Godley. He's still in that one, though. Uh, bottom of the fourth, 6-1 Braves. So uh, on that note, uh, just about done with our two-hour show here. So uh, Good luck to all. And again, a reminder that uh, it's a 12:35 first pitch tomorrow. So get those lineups in early and uh, that game will be uh, underway. And it uh, it'll uh, be something that I can discuss with Chris Swick tomorrow. Cause I'll have him on the show. Chris Swick from Yahoo, Yahoo sports, uh, big league stew. So looking forward to having him make his first appearance on FanRec Fantasy Baseball. So thank you very much for uh, joining me uh, for this show. And again, best of luck to you in Week 16. Don't forget to set those lineups, and I will see you again, same place, tomorrow afternoon. Take care, everybody.